I thank you, Ben, and children, for helping us to recognize and honor these moms and the important women of our church who do so much for us. Uh, you'll see the graphic for my sermon title up there, Moms Running on Empty, and, and I didn't plan it this way, I promise, but I'm actually I, almost out of gas. I mean, I pulled up and parked this morning and went, oh, this is ironic, my, my needle is on E, so as soon as church is done, I'm going over to Walmart to fuel up and, and to get, get some gas. But, you know, it reminds me of when Julie and I moved to Thompson a little over 20 years ago. And uh, we had been working with a lot of people to help us move here and get over here. But one of those was Tommy Phelps. And Tommy Phelps was really helping us out a lot. And he, he told us some instructions. He said, now the last place for you to get gas, I think it was like, you know, at one of those Madison exits. And this was 20 years ago. There was like nothing between there and here. He said, you got to make sure you get gas there because there's nothing until you get to Thompson. Well, I learned my lesson that you should always listen to Tommy Phelps. I, I didn't listen. And we literally coasted into Thompson on fumes. I mean, we were way past empty. That orange light had been on a really long time. And I thought, the last thing I want to do is that... See, I didn't know him very well yet, but I already knew the last thing I'd want to do was call Tommy Phelps and tell him that I was on the side of the road without gas and that he was going to have to bring me a gas tank. So, uh, so thankfully, we didn't have to do that. But maybe you felt that way in life. You felt like that you're just running on empty, that you're coasting on fumes, right? You wonder... If you're going to be able to make it through the week, you're so stressed, you're so, you're so exhausted, you worry that, that your money's not going to last the month. And, and all that seems like it's only worsened since COVID, right? I mean, I mean, with the lockdowns and the distance learning and the supply chain issues and now inflation and not to mention gas prices, it's a real worry and it's a real struggle for people. And as I was thinking about Mother's Day and men not to... Not to, uh, to dismiss our own struggles, but I think moms have had it uh, as worse as anybody over these past few years. They've had to bear a lot of the brunt and, and carry a lot on their shoulders. And, and motherhood's always been a challenge. The moms today wrestle with the same things that their mothers and grandmothers had to wrestle with, except I think that moms, they have a whole host of things to think about and to deal with that nobody could ever have imagined 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. So moms, maybe this morning you feel like you're running on empty. Between managing things at home and at work, getting your kids up and out the door, cleaning up their messes, getting them to their ball games, helping them with homework, getting them to church. Maybe on top of that, you're caring for a loved one as well. You have so much to juggle, so many things that weigh heavy on your heart and on your mind. It's understandable if you feel like that you're just coasting on fumes. And you don't know how much longer you can keep it up. You don't think you're going to make it to the next exit. So where do you turn when you feel like you don't have enough? When you feel like you don't measure up? You know, to all those Instagram moms and all those perfect families on Facebook. Where do you go? What do you do when you feel like you're out of gas and you just don't have anything left to give? You don't know how to stretch your money another dime, and time feels like your enemy. Well, I want to encourage you all to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. I want us to look at a story about a single mom who was literally running on empty. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. One of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, has died. You know that your servant feared the Lord. Now the creditor is coming to take my two children as his slaves. Elisha asked her, What can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? 
She said, your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. Then he said, go out and borrow empty containers from all your neighbors. Don't just get a few. Then go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all these containers. Set the full ones to one side. So she left. And after she had shut the door behind her and her sons, they kept bringing her containers and she kept pouring. And when they were full, she said to her son, bring me another container. But he replied, there aren't any more. Then the oil stopped. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt. You and your sons can live on the rest. This passage teaches us that no matter what our problems, God has a plan. And just as God took care of this widowed mother of two, He can take care of you. Her story reminds us that when our tank seems empty, our battery seems dead, we're coasting on fumes, there's help. There's hope. You know, as if motherhood wasn't hard enough, this woman also was dealing with all the demands and uncertainties of being a widow. I mean, here her husband had died. And, and everything now fell on her shoulders to provide and to care for her and her sons. But she lived in a day and an age when women really didn't work outside the home. And there was no social safety net to help a struggling mom like this. So she faced the very real possibility of her creditors coming and taking her sons into indentured servitude for them to work until her debt was paid off. And this was a no-win scenario because, again, if she can't go outside and work and earn money, she has no husband no sons to care for her, how is she supposed to stay out of debt? Hopelessness, homelessness, hunger were very much a reality for her. Her world was collapsing all around her. She was grieving her husband, struggling to pay the bills, and all that left her in a hopeless spiral of despair. What could she do? Where could she turn? Moms, where do you turn when you're running on empty? Well, I hope that you'll turn to God. That's the first lesson we learned from her story is that we need to turn to God in our time of need. Think about the host of problems that she was facing. It was really a perfect storm. It was death and debt and despair. And death and debt are all things that we think about, we worry about. Our death or the death of someone we love. We worry about being able to, to make ends meet. We don't want to go into debt. And if you haven't dealt with one or both of those, you will someday. We'll all face these issues. And it's very easy for these issues to compound, compound and lead us into that despair. And when that time comes, Satan is going to lie to you. He's going to try to tell you that God either doesn't see or He doesn't care or He's not capable of helping you. And this story teaches us that none of those are true. God most certainly does see you no matter where you are or what you're facing. He cares about you more deeply than you can imagine and He is able to help you no matter what your circumstances. That's why 1 Peter 5 6-7 through seven encourages us to humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares upon Him, because He cares for you. But it's so easy for us to let our struggles turn to doubt, which then feed despair. That's why it says that she cried out. That Hebrew word for cried out means that she moaned, she wept, 
uncontrollably, she cried out in grief. And she had a decision to make. She could either cry out in anger and bitterness at God and let her heart grow hard. And some people do that. They blame God. They blame the church. They shut their Bible. They stop going to church. And they begin to wallow in that despair. This woman certainly had good reason to do that. She had every reason to be angry at God and bitter to God. Because did you catch what, she, what her husband did for a living? Her husband was basically a preacher, a son of the prophets, a servant of Elisha. He was one of Elisha's right-hand men. He was a, a preacher, a servant of the Lord, doing the Lord's work. He was a righteous man who feared God. He was the kind of man that you would expect God to bless and protect. So I can just imagine her wondering, God, why did you let this happen when I needed my husband the most? Why did you take him from me? Lord, we didn't deserve this. We're doing all we can to live for you. But this mother didn't grow bitter toward God. She turned toward God. She didn't just cry out at God. She cried out to God. Blessed is the mother who knows where to turn in her time of need. She turned to the Lord. Where do you go when someone in your family is in need? When a crisis comes your way, do you turn to the Lord first? Or is He the last resort? If we as parents want to leave a legacy of faith for our children, we should follow this mom's example and turn to the Lord first. And when we do, our children will be blessed. In at least two ways. Because first of all, we see that our children need to see our consistent faith. Children need to see our consistent faith. You know, we shouldn't be surprised when hardships come, when the storms of life come. They will come. The Bible promises us they will come. And when they do, we need to make sure that our faith and our family are built on the solid rock of God's true and trustworthy Word. It's a powerful witness when we have laid that groundwork and our children can see the consistency in our walk with God through the good and the bad, through the victories and the defeats, through the times of bounty and in the times of want. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 to rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's the consistency of our faith in the good and the bad. We rejoice. We give thanks. We continue to follow in the way of God. But secondly, our children also need to see our concern for their freedom. This woman very literally was fighting to keep her sons out of bondage. Actual slavery. We need moms and dads today that are also concerned about the threat of bondage for their children. Our children today face a spiritual and mental bondage to the empty and vain philosophies of this world. Listen, Peter tells us that Satan is prowling about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That is so true. And he wants to devour your children. He wants to warp their mind. He wants to steal their innocence. He wants to take their allegiance. He wants to dash their faith and to twist the values and the morals that we hope to instill in them. More than everyday children face a psychological bondage. Depression, stress, burnout are very real in children today. Record numbers. Children are facing and dealing with addiction, with suicide. It's a psychological bondage. 
And there's the ideological bondage of a, of a perverse worldview that casts everybody as either a victim or an oppressor, that reduces your identity to your gender, your skin color, your economic status, and your sexuality. It, it's an ideology that elevates people's subjective inner thoughts and feelings against the objective reality of God's created world. There are things out there that want to enslave our children. But moms and dads, the worst form of bondage that we should be crying out to God against for our children is spiritual bondage to sin. We are born into this world sinners, slaves of sin. We have a debt that we can never pay. But Jesus Christ didn't want us to live in slavery. He didn't want us to be in debt. He died on the cross and paid the sin debt that you and I owe. He broke the bonds of sin and death and hell for us. So moms and dads, we need to be working toward and praying for our children to come to that day that they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and they are saved and set free. We should be crying out to God on behalf of our children. So when you're in a time of need, turn to God. But then secondly, bring to God what little you have. Bring what little you have. Elisha posed two questions to help this desperate mom in her search for answers. And I'm sure she must have wondered what what Elisha was doing. These questions and instructions didn't make a lot of sense to her. Didn't, Didn't he understand, I don't have anything? She was thinking. It kind of reminds me of uh, the movie The Karate Kid. And Mr. Miyagi, all right? You remember him? You know, Daniel was getting bullied and beat up on by Cobra Kai, right? And he, he went to Mr. Miyagi because he wanted to learn how to fight back and defend himself. And Mr. Miyagi was going to teach him karate. And so what did Mr. Miyagi have him do? Paint the fence. Wax the car. Sand the deck, Right? And Daniel didn't understand. This didn't make any sense. You're wasting my time. I'm supposed to be learning karate. But what he didn't know was that through all of that, he was teaching him the essential moves he needed to fight back and defend himself. Listen, that's the way it is for us. When we come to God in times of need, He sometimes asks us to do things that don't make sense. We don't understand. It doesn't seem to fit our situation. But if we trust Him and obey His commands, we'll discover that the answer to our problems is closer than we think. When we're running on empty, Elisha's two questions can help us. The first one can help us focus on God's power, not our problems. The first question that Elisha asked was, what can I do for you? Now, he's not wondering what he could possibly do to help her. Rather, he is helping her focus her attention not on her problem, but on a solution. Jesus asked similar questions. When John and Andrew first started to follow him as disciples, he turned around and looked at them and said, What can I do for you? Same question Elisha asked. What can I do for you? To blind Bartimaeus, he asked, What do you want me to do for you? And similarly, when he healed the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda, he said, Do you want to get well? See, it's one thing to recognize our need, but it's another to be willing to make the change required. Even something as amazing as being healed of paralysis or blindness has a cost. It requires a change in how we look at the world, a different way of living your life. Your your paradigm has to shift. But that can be hard to do, and some people are content to just complain about life's inequities and unfairness. 
They don't really want to let go of their fear and worries or their anger and bitterness or their, their victimhood status. They, they would rather just complain. So both Elisha and Jesus pushed those in need to look beyond what they lack to what they could have, to look beyond their problem to how life could be for them. What's the problem isn't nearly as important a question as what can I do for you? What do you want from me? Do you want to be made well? So Elisha wanted her focus to not be on her problem, but on God's power. And secondly, the second question helped her to focus not on her poverty, but God's provision. To focus on God's provision instead of her poverty. Elisha said, what do you have in the house? Now that's another interesting question that again reminds me of Jesus. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? There were 5,000 men. That doesn't count the women and children. So there's probably upwards of 10,000 people that had been following Jesus. They were out in the middle of nowhere listening to Him teach and it was getting late. And the disciples were looking at all this thinking, uh, these people are going to need, need to eat and there are no restaurants or food trucks out here in the boonies. We need to send them into the city so they can get some food. And so they go and they tell Jesus this. And Jesus blew their minds because He looked back at them and said, you feed them. So Philip... He must have been the, the, you know, one of the mathematical guys in the group. He started kind of calculating and he said, Jesus, six months wages wouldn't be enough to feed all these people. Jesus, that, that suggestion is ridiculous on its face. You can't be serious. The odds are insurmountable. But Jesus said, go and see what you can find. And they went in through the crowd and they looked and they scratched around and they were able to cobble together a little boy's lunch a few loaves of fish, and some hard rolls. Jesus was echoing Elisha's question. What do you have around? What do you already have that you can use? And that's a good question for all of us today. Moms, when you're running on empty, you feel like you're at the end of your rope and you've given it your all, stop and consider what you do have. Do you have a family that loves you? Do you have food enough for the next meal? Do you have money enough for groceries this week? Do you have a friend that you can call for help when the answer to those questions is no? What do you have? Apparently this mother had none of these things. And so her first thought was, your servant has nothing in the house. She was focused on her poverty. She was focused on what she lacked. And it's easy for us to do that. To wallow in self-pity, to give in to that victimhood temptation. Maybe you've been guilty of thinking at times life's not fair. Why me? Others get fancy vacations and nice houses and new things. Others get the promotion, the job, the scholarship, but not me. Why can't I have everything together? Why can't I have the perfect body or the perfect house or the perfect spouse or the perfect family? You know, like all those Facebook people. But then the woman made a startling discovery. She realized she did have something. It wasn't much. It was just a little bit of oil in a small flask. Now, the Hebrew word here is that it was an anointing of oil. In other words, it was just enough oil for a priest to anoint somebody. That was it. So, translate to today, it'd be like having a Lord's Supper amount of juice and bread in your kitchen and that's it. That's not much, is it? It's barely enough to even mention. It's like the young boy's lunch on that hillside in Galilee. 
How could a few fish and rolls feed thousands? How could a little anointing of oil help me get out of debt? But just as it was with the disciples, this admission, this realization for this woman was the turning point of her faith. It's like our Old Testament reading this morning. It said, David is is talking to himself. David said, my soul, bless the Lord and do not forget all His benefits. It's so easy when we're struggling to make ends meet, when we're under the pressure, when we're burning out. It's easy to forget the Lord's benefits. That's why Paul admonishes us to give thanks to God for in everything, in every circumstance. Or the old hymn that says, Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. When's the last time you did that? You stop to count your blessings. When we're in times of need and distress, when there's more muck than there is money, it's urgent we count our blessings and thank God for all that He has done, for all that He has given us. And when we do, maybe we'll rediscover some of our blessings, like our house and our job, even though we may not be happy with both of them at the moment, or our spouse for that matter, our family, our friends, our church, the freedoms and rights we have as Americans. Most importantly, your faith in God and His grace and mercy, His presence and power and provision. Maybe you'll rediscover some things you forgot that you had. The answer for lifting your burden might be right home, hidden in the midst of despair and difficult circumstances, and you just haven't seen it yet. Because all too often, we're more like Peter. Remember Peter walking on the stormy sea, and as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was good. He could walk over the waves. But the minute he took his eyes off Jesus and focused on the wind and the waves and the storm, he started to sink. We're awfully bad at focusing too much on the wind and the waves and the storm. We focus too much on our poverty and our problems and not enough on God's power and provision. But when we take time to shift our focus, we can experience what this mother experienced. That God will expand our faith. He will meet our needs. He'll work whatever it is we're facing for our good and for His glory. What did Jesus promise in our New Testament reading? He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Because as Paul says in Philippians 4.19, My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We bring to God what little we have. And then number three, we trust God to do much with our little. To take what little bit we have and do much with it. As we consider Elisha's instructions and this mother's obedience, we discover two more important principles about fostering faith at home. Two last things I want to share. One is that we need to express our faith publicly. Remember, Elisha commanded her to go to her neighbors and to get all the, you know, go to, the, go to get all the pots and the pans and the bowls and the flasks and everything, all the jars you could get. And you know what that meant she had to do? She had to go public. She had to admit to her neighbors that she was in need. That times were tough. That she was desperate. We don't like to do that very much, do we? (laughs) We like to put on a bold front and plaster on a smile and pretend like we got everything under control. Everything's great. Everything's good. I've got this. Even though you know you can't keep all the plates spinning, you're screaming on the inside and your world is falling down all around you. 
We don't want our name on the prayer list because people might ask questions and find out that I'm human. But beyond just admitting to her neighbors that she had a need, she then involved them in the solution. They helped to provide for her. They gave her all the Tupperware they had. She brought it all in. Now, how do you suppose she explained this to her neighbors? Maybe she said, that crazy preacher told me to do it. Or maybe she said, I know it's a strange request. Don't ask me why, but I need all the containers you have. Or did she say, I'm flat out broke, but God's about to meet my need. I don't know how He's going to do it. But the man of God said, borrow some pots. I don't understand it, but I know that God's going to make a way. I like to think that's what she said. And that when she went to her neighbors, God used her honesty and her public expression of faith to speak to them. Yeah, they might have thought she lost her mind. Yeah, they might have been gossiping and whispering behind her back a little bit. But you know what? It was a witness to them when God met her need. God used her as a living, breathing sermon to her neighbors. And God can do the same thing in your life. When we stop pretending we've got it all together, when we let people see our faults and fears and our struggles and our doubts and our weaknesses, that we're not perfect, we're just forgiven, when we let them see that we're just hanging on by a thread, but that thread, God's on the other end of it. And He's got this. It speaks volumes to those who are watching. Listen, you never know who God is using your life to speak to. So would you let God have His way and let your life be a billboard to others of His grace and provision and power? That's what this woman did. We need to express our faith publicly. And we need to help our children exercise their faith. Can you imagine the scene in that humble home that day? Here's the widow with her sons and all those empty containers on every surface in the house. I mean, probably about she hadn't washed dishes in a month, you know, just there were stuff everywhere. And she picked up that flask of oil and maybe one of her sons said, Mom, what are we doing with all of our neighbor's jars and bowls and pots and pans? And what are you going to do with that flask with just a drop of oil in it? And maybe she answered, Boys, I don't have all the answers, but I believe that God is about to do something amazing in our home. Your dad didn't leave us much, but he left us this little bit of oil and he left us faith in a great God. And boys, I believe that God is going to fill every one of these containers from this flask of oil. And these boys watched and participated as they brought their mom these containers and they watched their mom pour that oil into container after container after container until every one of them were full. They ran out of containers before they ran out of God's blessing. When the day ended, there was a family that learned a valuable lesson. There, in the privacy of their home, they learned that God sees, that God cares, and that God is able to meet their needs. And the neighbors would hear what happened. They would bear witness publicly of this private miracle that happened in this family's life. What a difference a little bit of faith in the life of a mom who was literally running on empty. What a difference it made. A family that was about to be torn apart and lose everything. A day that started off in hopelessness and despair, ended in abundance and joy. A mother that was loyal to her family, faithful to her God, gave what little she had in obedience, and the result was a great 
abundance of blessing beyond measure. That's what God can do. Moms, you may feel like that you're not enough. That you don't have enough. You may feel like that you're never going to catch up, much less catch your breath. But you know, like Jesus' mother, when she came to him and said, Jesus, they're out of wine. What can you do? All we have are these pots of water. Like the disciples who said, Jesus, how are we going to feed all these people? What can we do? Here's a little boy's lunch. Bring what little bit you have to God, and there will be an abundance of blessing. Listen, I pray that you'll use whatever you need, wherever it is that you're lacking today, as an opportunity to enrich the lives of your family and to bless your community. You can be a godly mother, a godly father whose influence will fill many people, many people's lives with God's joy and love. You have far more to give than you realize. And like this woman, you can have a lasting impact on your family, on your friends, on your neighbors. You know, maybe they've heard you speak about your faith over the years, but why not give them an opportunity to see your faith in action? To demonstrate that trust in God. That's what our world needs. Our world needs to see people who are living out their faith in public, on purpose, trusting and obeying what God tells them to do. Listen, this morning, Jesus, you know, He loved you so much that He gave His life on the cross. He's so powerful He rose from the dead. Do you really think He can't meet your needs? Do you really think He can't take what little bit you have and do something great with it? And listen, the greatest need that Jesus wants to meet in your life is far greater than this woman's need. He wants to do more than put food on your table. He wants to do more than put money in your bank account. He wants to save you from your sins. See, like these sons, we actually are in bondage to sin. And we, like this woman, owe a debt we can never pay. Jesus Christ shed His blood on Calvary's tree to pay that debt for us. He gave His life so that you might live. Not as a slave to fear and to this world, but free in the spirit of power and wisdom and love. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you in bondage to sin today? Are you in bondage to guilt and to shame? Are you in bondage to fear and insecurity? Jesus wants to set you free. Maybe this morning you need to come and put your faith and trust in Jesus to do for you what you could never do for yourself. I'll be standing down here in a moment to help you do that today. Moms, dads, any, any of us in this room, if you're breathing, maybe you're struggling today. Maybe you do feel like that you don't measure up and that you're running on fumes. God wants to encourage you. He wants to help you. He wants to bless you. I invite you to come and pray at this altar. Maybe there's somebody God has led on your heart that you know, like this woman is dealing with just an unbelievable crisis and you want to come and pray for them. Whatever God is speaking to you, let's trust Him and obey as we stand and sing together. Would you stand and let's pray. Father, thank You. For this woman's story, though thousands of years old, is so relevant to us today. God, we can, we can identify with her worry, with her sense of hopelessness, God, with her thinking that things could never get any better. Lord, as her story shows us, you are a God who not only is powerful enough to help, but loves us enough to help if we would come to you. 
to take what little we do have and bring it to you. And maybe there's someone here today that Jesus says just a mustard seed size of faith is enough. Maybe there's somebody here today that that's all they've got. Just a mustard seed sized faith. But they want to come today to place it in your hands. And it's enough for the salvation of their soul and the forgiveness of their sin. God, I pray they would step out and respond today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.